I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So one of the premises of our podcast comes to us from a writer named Colin McCann, who, if you're into just fiction, I think is one of the best fiction writers working. And one of my first introductions to him was a novel called Let the Whole World Spin, which is this book about this guy walking on a wire. Okay. And I think it's based on a real life thing. Would you say, Keaton, you watched a podcast about, or a Yeah, watched I watched a documentary, a documentary about, about a man who walked between the two towers. Yeah, and I think it had a really creative name. Yes. Like some really, like, abstract um, name. I should get one of our interns on this. <laughs> it was called Man on Wire, <laughs> which is kind of... I was about to Google it, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I saved you so much heartache. Yeah, you did. By telling you that the name is Man on Wire. Um but it's about this real thing where this guy who's French, I think his name is Pierre. That's French. Mm-hmm. And it might be that guy's name. But he did this extraordinary thing where he walked on a wire between the two towers long, long time ago, pre 9-11 world. And Colin McCann's novel imagines what that felt like to people in the city that day. Like to people who were just going about whatever that day meant for them. Right. And walking all of a sudden they look up. And they see this man walking on a wire, basically in the air between these two giant towers My that were goodness. already extraordinary to them. And it's a, it's a really great novel. Like it is seven or eight stories in one. But um, what I think has kind of stuck with me, not just this idea that he writes about the breakfast, but this novel about how just seeing something extraordinary in the middle of your day could change the way you move through your day. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result of seeing this guy walking between the wires, everyone... Yeah, they make different decisions reaction. Yeah, about how they treat each other. Um, it, it make, it's been a while since I read it, but I think it also like affected how they did their job and how they saw the people they loved who they might have been mad at, right? So all of a sudden they see this man walk through the sky mm-hmm. and they think differently about the things that have happened to them or around them that day. Uh, can you, do you have any parallels to that? Have you ever seen something so extraordinary that it made the world look a little different to you? I hope I will. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah, maybe someday. Yeah. I, I will say I had a pretty extraordinary day. Uh, the first time I went to Sedona, Arizona, Mm -hmm. which I think one of our producers is, might be right now as we're recording this, (laughs) but the high Shane and his family are out there West having a good time. But I remember the first time I saw the, the rocks in Sedona, like thinking if these things exist in the world, maybe the world is different than what I thought it was. Cause they're like giant rocks that are as big as the mountains of Tennessee, which I was familiar with. Um, but I think what we're talking about here in Acts 15, 
is this moment where we've already talked about all these kind of, there's these conversion moments that happen, not just to people who are brand new to the story of Jesus, but people who know Jesus, but see something different. What we're going to experience in Acts 15 is the whole church seeing something different. Mm -hmm. And it is as if they're seeing a man walk through the sky and going, what do we make of that? Because here's something that's brand new to us, kind of. And they have to decide what they think about it. And um, we have Paul and Barnabas. We haven't really got to know Barnabas much, but he really is just kind of the guy who comes alongside Paul. Yeah. Uh, his his name is Encouragement, Son of Encouragement. Oh, that's beautiful. Or something like that. Yeah. Right. So it is, again, we've talked about names mattering, how mm-hmm. Saul Paul contains in his essence mm-hmm. a mission to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And here's his buddy, Barnabas, who encourages him. Yeah, and we've talked about the power of um, traveling in, in duos. Right, how very often when Jesus calls people, he says, don't just go by yourself, but take bring a friend. Bring encouragement. Yeah, bring encouragement with you. Yeah, if you're going to do anything extraordinary. You know, I bet the man on the wire had somebody. Some sort of encouragement. Yeah, standing. The, pole, the balance pole. Yeah, either standing on the ground or standing at one of the windows, but he had somebody helping him do it. Um, so Paul and Barnabas have been out stirring up trouble. And by trouble, what we mean is telling Gentiles about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And dun, the, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. And at the home base in Jerusalem, uh, where the kind of foundation of the Christian community is, that causes them to ask some questions. It's as if they're seeing a guy on a wire do something they've never seen before. And they have to ask some questions about the world they, as they understand it. Now, one thing about this is that in Acts 15, we start to get maybe our first glimpse of the formal authority structure of the church. Okay. That there are some folks who has the mission of Jesus, has sent some people out. It's caused some people to stay home. And those people seem to be the, the people who are keeping the, the fires burning. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor has this really beautiful word picture she gives to the church where she talks about if the world was like a wilderness map or like a camp map or like a state park mm-hmm. that you might have like a spot on the map that marked where you kept your fire. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is where we keep the fire burning and then there would be the wilderness. And what she says is that the church needs people who keep the fire burning, who kind of hold on to the story mm-hmm. and make sure that they're keeping the story true and good and authentic. But then there are people who need to to go out into the wilderness. The dotted lines on the map. Oh, yeah. Curly Q. And yeah, like where the all the trees are. Yeah. The unknown territory. And what I love about it is she says, you know, the story is best kept at the fire, but it's best lived in the wilderness. So you see this perfect tension here where the folks in Jerusalem, they're sitting there and they're retelling the stories of Jesus. They're, they're keeping that fire going. They're adding logs to that fire. Remember when Jesus did this. You know, they're, they're holding on to his parables. Campfire stories. <laughs> yeah, they're sitting around wondering about the cross and the resurrection. And they're keeping that fire going. But Paul and Barnabas are out in the wilderness. And they're trying to see what God might be doing in the unexplored territory. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's worth us at least talking a little bit about James. As far as we know, this is also the James who is designated as the brother of Jesus who may be the person behind the letter of James that's in the scriptures and is a really powerful short letter. 
Uh, did you get any feel for who James is as a person? Has you read this? I mean, we talked a little bit about how he is a, a bit of a leader in the conversation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he sort of rises in the ranks for whatever reason. His voice seems to be a voice of authority. Um, do you know what it means when people eat egg whites only? I I don't. Okay. They're health conscious. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it means. But I oh, we have a producer in the room. We should mention that. Speaking of authorities, we have a dog in the room. Archie, our producer, we've kept him in the room and he may interrupt this podcast because he has pretty strong opinions, specifically about Acts 15. Yes, he loves to chime in. Yeah, he has a lot of, we talk all the time about the Gentiles and the mission to the Gentiles. So uh, I picture James, I don't know what it means that you eat egg whites only. But I feel like that it is... It just feels right. That feels like what He's James would do. Yeah. He's very intentional. You know, his, his letter is a precision letter. Like, it cuts to the quick about how the tongue is such a powerful instrument in the human body. So my perception of James is that he is an egg whites only guy. There's a lot of precision to what he says and what he does. And so whatever it means when people are egg whites only people, I feel like it applies to James that he's an egg whites only person. So here they are in this situation where the church in Jerusalem is trying to decide based on the stories they're hearing from Paul and Barnabas, if it's good that folks like Cornelius, who are Gentiles, is it good that they're starting to really love the story of Jesus? And they're trying to figure out what part of being Jewish should also be a part of being a Christian. Well, Yeah. It's a big giant question, right? Mm-hmm. That affects you and me and whether what kind of foods we eat and what mm-hmm. we do. And specifically, they're actually really trying to figure out, does circumcision matter? Mm-hmm. Because if you re- remember way back in the Old Testament story, the Jewish folks have this mark on them, right? This, that anytime they have kids, that it's the, the promise of God coming true. And so they mark it in the most intimate I would imagine painful way, mm-hmm. right? By the practice of circumcision. And so the Jewish folks are trying to decide, do these rules of circumcision still apply to Gentiles? Yeah. I can see why this would be a big deal because it opens up a can of worms of every single tradition. Which ones do we keep? What are And what are the quote unquote rules? Because it's not just a matter of what do we want our like culture to look like? It's a matter of um, what what is a Christian? Yeah. Who yeah. are we? Yeah. Yeah. Because they've already had this, this dietary thing kind of fall apart on them that we talked about a couple episodes back, but circumcision is, is key to who they are. And intimate as heck, as you mentioned. Yeah. And I would imagine, especially if you're an adult, uh, just a, a big giant deal to ask somebody to say, Hey, we'd really love you to believe in this guy, Jesus. But by the way, you also have to let us cut you right i'd avoid that conversation if i could (laughs) so that's what they're up to here is trying to figure this out and also i think in a bigger picture just trying to see like what is god doing is god a part of these conversions because this is outside of our imagination of what god's mission was in the world and so they do what i think they go through a really beautiful process it tells us that one of the things they do is that they it says in verse 12 that they kept silence Okay, so first they got quiet. Yeah, so all the leaders of the church get together and get quiet. And after they've been quiet for a while, they let the people who are on the front lines 
tell the story of what they've seen. So they have Paul and Barnabas, Saul, Paul and Barnabas encourager. They have them come and tell what they've seen God do in the household of Cornelius. And then they, they go back to the scriptures, right? They go back to these authoritative texts and they say, is there anything there that we might've missed? That's a big deal to do. Yes. Which is a humbling thing, right? Uh Cause you've, you've maybe committed some of this stuff to memory. You've learned it from your parents. It's a, it's a piece of your identity. And what they find is that there's stuff there they might have not paid enough attention to. Yeah. And these are people who cared about this text a lot. Right. The fact that they'd rewind and say, like, diehard Harry Potter fans saying, <laughs> who was Snape, though? Yeah, that's right. Did we miss something <laughs> in the original text that could have been key? You uh, think of, I mean, that's a perfect illustration, right? Because what did the Star Wars universe do anytime something messes with how they thought they understood the story? It's chaos. Mm-hmm. And so here they are going, maybe we missed something in the earliest chapters. And they remember a verse from Amos that talked about God uh, blessing the Gentiles. And that, that's actually one of many that they could have picked out. There, there's another verse in Amos about how God, there might have been other exoduses. You know, we think of the one big exodus, but there's a mention in Amos about how God might have led other people through an exodus. There's several passages in Isaiah about Israel being a light to the other nations. So some concern for the other nations. So is the idea that because God had lifted up these other or, um, uncircumcised groups that maybe it opens up what, like... Or, I don't know. Yeah, maybe God was always working in these places, and they okay. just didn't see it. Okay. And you see a similar thing in um, Luke 4. Uh, do you remember Jesus' very first public speech he gives in Luke? He stands up in front of the synagogue, and what he does is to tell the story of, like, two or three really famous Gentiles. Uh. So Jesus also has set a precedent of God might have been doing things you didn't notice. So go back and read Luke 4. It's right there. He talks about Naaman, the Syrian. He talks about a widow who was from Zarephath. I might be making that up. But he tells two or three stories about Gentiles in the Hebrew scriptures who played really dominant roles. And so if you think about what they do, they keep silence. They listen to the stories of the people on the front line to what God might be doing right now. They go back and look and say, did we miss anything God might have been doing in the past? And from there, they decide what does God want us to do right now? And they come up with this decision. In verse 28, it says, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose no further burdens than these essentials. And so they come up with a couple things. They, I think they, they nix Circumcision has an absolute, just the worst way I could have said that. <laughs> they decide not to do that, but they, they basically like, I think a couple of things they decide is like to be careful about what you eat, right? To be careful not to associate with other religions in a way that, that sacrifices who you are as a person. So they do come up with a couple of things that they think still are really important. Um, but I, I love this process. 
you know, I grew up in churches where, and I think you grew up in these churches too, that think Acts 2 is really important. That would say they're Acts 2 churches that find those passages about breaking bread together and listening to the apostles teaching together and that, that find that description of the church in Acts 2 is really vital. And I find myself all the time just wishing there were more and more Acts 15 churches. Because I think right now we find ourselves in a place where there's a lot of issues where it would seem like maybe it would be good for the church to have a big, fat church meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you think of any things that would maybe fit into this category, things we could have a good fight about? Things that we could get quiet about <laughs> yeah. and reflect on. Totally. Oh, yeah. All kinds of things. Um, women's rights issues. Um, yeah. The LGBTQT um, plus community issues yeah. in the church, yeah. um, race in the church. There's there's so many yeah. really really significant um, topics that are so um, vital to what um, how people feel like they fit into the church and how um, you can create that community. Yeah, I think I think those are those would be on my list too. Like the we've we've already talked about the women issue, but I, I think that that question of the queer community and how God may or may may not be working in the folks who are outside of what we think. Um, And then I I think even on top of that, there are these like underlying issues of, you know, right now there, this is not as important as those, but there's even right now this question of how much should technology play a part in the community of of the church Mm. is digital church, real church. Um, There's some questions about like atonement theology, like, is that the only meaning of the cross or is there more? I think, again, this is like secondary, but um, how how much should the church be involved in climate change issues and creation care is the other way to think of that. Um, uh, Phyllis Tickle is a, she, well, she's passed away, so she, but she was a person who paid a ton of attention to the way the church was working She had this idea that I cannot, I haven't been able to get it on my head. She says we're sitting in a moment that happens every 400 years or so is her number. And she talks about how every 400 years or so the church has a rummage sale. Hmm. Or they need to have a rummage sale. That every 400 years or so there seems to be a moment where the church basically has to take everything out of the basement and the attic and put it in the yard and say, is this still valuable to us? Oh, I like that. And then, and some of those things, they decide, absolutely, we still stand on this. We still need to hold on to this. And they put it back in the basement or the attic. And they say, this, we're still going to hold on to this really tightly. But then there's other things that they might say, this is not serving us anymore. Um, or they might exchange it for something else, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I think she's, she's right about that. And I think we're sitting in that moment right now. Um, where I would love to see more churches say, let's do this. Let's keep some silence. Let's stop talking about the thing and listen to what the people on the front line are telling us they're seeing. And let's make sure we didn't miss anything in the scripture, right? In our authoritative text, did we miss anything that we've held on to so tightly? And maybe we need to put it in the front yard for a while and see if it's worth carrying in again. So I find her idea of this rummage sale really compelling. I think the things we talked about are on that list. Um, But I also just, I love the humility. Again, we've talked about how what I love about scripture is that the people in scripture learn things. So here they are in this chapter, like relearning 
what the mission of God is in the world and relearning who God is for. And their picture of who God is for is bigger uh, than they could have seen. Um, so if I had to say, like, you know, we always try to say, like, what's our invitation in this chapter? Uh, that, in addition to, like, the giant systemic things that I see here in this chapter, it's also the humility of saying, is there something God might have been doing that I have missed? Is there someplace God's been working that I just never had the eyes to see God doing this? Um, how about you? Do you see any invitation? Yeah, especially um, step one, the just the being quiet. Yeah. I think is a lovely way to um, re reset. Yeah. I think that's a, a bigger idea. Like the church has been so focused on what we say and on finding the right words for things that um, – keeping quiet is minimized in a big picture way, like for the whole congregation, uh, but also in personal ways that we're not, we're scared of quiet. Uh, I've, I've been like the person standing on stage trying to like let quiet sit for a while and it is uncomfortable. Um, but it might also be the very thing we need the most. Mm -hmm. So uh, Francis Buford is a guy who wrote a book that I really love called Unapologetic. He has a bit in his book about how people are coming to church to be saved from themselves. And the picture he gives of this is, uh, you have a record player, right? Do yes. you have a record player? Yes, I have, I have a couple. Yeah, so he talks about how when you play a record, you get to the part where the music stops. And it's just a record spinning and the needle is still, it's in that dead space. It's still it's pushing up against the record and there's still some kind of like a buzz. Like there's still some kind of sound, but it's not quite music. And that's his picture of what church is. That it's the place where all the noise of our own story kind of stops, but there's still a buzz in the room. Like there's a presence. Um, that's hard to describe and hard to define, but it's, it's present. And that's been my like working understanding of what we're all coming to church for, for, for a while is that it's that hum, um, that doesn't quite fit into our words, but that we're trying to find. And I think that's at least one part of what they're doing here in Acts 15 is to say, Let's stop with the story we've always told and let's see if there's something new. And I think that's what I also like about that wilderness metaphor from Barbara Brown Taylor too, is if you've ever been in the woods, right now we're living under the hum of cicadas. We sure are. Yeah. So we have a really uh, present picture of that or, or soundtrack to that right now. But it's that thing where the, the silence also has a noise, where you go farther out into the woods and you it's a noise that you can't quite describe like the silence has a noise um barbara brown taylor also talks about how our actual bodies make a humming noise have we talked about this no but my belly gurgles a lot <laughs> not quite that so if you went into uh there i guess there are these like chambers that people make where you can go in and it removes all outside sound it's some kind of science magic wow. again Outside it sounds of, overwhelming. Outside of our expertise. Um, 
I don't know. What's our expertise again? I can't remember. Breakfast. Breakfast, yeah. Uh, but if you go into one of these echoless chambers, the people's bodies hum. So, like, you could actually hear the blood running through your system. And I, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I, oh my goodness. I think every time I try to like understand what it is in silence, what, it, what prayer is and where God is speaking, that's my picture of it is that it's right where our noise ends. So, yeah, I feel sweaty just thinking about a room <laughs> like that, which was, t- which is telling me something though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause we are very uneasy. And I, I think maybe even that church in Acts 15, maybe they wondered, like, if we get quiet, maybe we won't like what comes back to us. You know, what if what if it is more harsh than we want it to be? Or what if God is doing something, you know, different than what we saw coming? Uh, but I just love that they are open to that possibility. And so I think what I wish for the church right now is that openness. And it's, it's what I wish for the church giant and what I wish for the, uh, the church inside each of our rumbling guts. <laughs> so here we are contributing to the noise through our podcast. Um, this is a giant, giant chapter. But I, I feel like the best thing for us to do is to leave people with that question. What, where should the church be listening right now? And then where should each of us be be listening? Also to watch the movie The Sound of Metal. I still haven't. I need to. That's how dare you. That is um, that's what we Yes, yeah, our conclusion from Acts 15. Yeah, that is our invitation is for everybody to watch The Sound of Metal. Uh, because it has a line about the kingdom of God that stopped me in my tracks and that I think everybody needs to hear. So there we are, Acts 15. It's giant, but I feel like we've said most of the most important things about it but it's a very big shift and we're going to see uh immediately it's going to play out because this lightning of the load this lightning of the burden uh, to gentiles is going to take effect right away so thanks for joining us we'll see you next week for uh act 16 where we we see uh, the mission to the gentiles get bigger and wider than anybody imagined